Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Living on the Edge. <laughs> Anybody, put on your seatbelts, Living on the Edge, 1 Kings 17, 10 through 12. A few years back, there was this big ad campaign uh, living on the edge, this whole living on the edge movement. Do you remember that? They had the commercials of the guy on the cliff, looked like he's going to jump off, and rock climbing. So, uh, big, big movement, and skydiving, and, and you remember that, all those skydiving commercials, and, and the, the, the theme kind of always was kind of the same. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space, right? Remember that? If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. And the whole idea was to take chances and to live dangerously even and to push yourself to your limit, find your ultimate limit, push yourself to that limit. The idea is that living comfortably is bad because once you settle and live comfortably, you begin dying this long, slow death, right? And it was an ad campaign and it was, it was entertaining and they had a lot of wild commercials and stuff. But we're going to see... That today that God wants us to live on the edge spiritually. Not necessarily physically like these commercials, but spiritually he does want us living on the edge. God rarely calls us to a life of comfort. Getting too comfortable is the enemy of spiritual growth. Do you like to hear that? We love comfort, right? Don't we love comfort, right? We, we, our, our, our flesh likes to be comfortable. We like to veg, right? We like to live in our spiritual hobbit holes. Remember the hobbit? A hobbit hole means comfort, right? Uh, for those who are hobbit fans, Lord of the Ring fans. Uh, we like to live in our spiritual hobbit holes. We like to be comfortable. So God knows that's not really good for us spiritually, so he often has to push us back to the edge, to living on the edge. And he makes us uncomfortable in some way. It, we, we are, we're all shook up, right? We're all shook up. Maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's physically, maybe it's financially, emotionally, mentally. Uh, maybe it's in our relationships, but he does something to shake us up. Because remember, God's goal. Remember, we're doing this whole Elijah study. If you weren't, you weren't here and you didn't hear them, kind of listen because they build on each other. But the whole goal is, is when he's putting us through this is God's getting ready to move us. He might be getting ready to move us physically somewhere, or somehow in our life, he's getting ready to move us. It may be around the world. It may be across the street. He's getting ready to move us or to get us moving, to get us moving spiritually or to keep us moving, right? He wants to keep us moving. That's God's whole goal in this process. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for bringing each one of us here because we know that we're here for a reason, that there's something in the word today that you want to speak to our hearts on and to move us forward spiritually step by step. Lord, we pray for Russ and Ramona and the deep crisis they're in. Expecting the unexpected is what it reminds me of, Lord, that, that they're in this deep crisis. We just pray for protection and for healing and that you would raise Russ back up to keep doing this a very very vital ministry there in Southeast Asia we pray this in Jesus name amen okay so the last few weeks we've been in 
1 Kings 17, 7 to 9. I just want to read those verses again. Verse 7. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to, at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And we talked about expecting the unexpected, remember? And then we talked about anywhere but here, God. You know, and if you weren't here, once again, CDs, podcasts, you can listen and and get caught up, but anywhere but here. But this is also an amazing picture of, of Jesus Christ. This whole episode that we're seeing here unfolding is actually, remember we talked about Elijah's Prophetic ministry is fulfilled in Jesus Christ's prophetic ministry. And this is a prophetic picture because we know that we've been studying that Israel rejected God and Elijah's message, right? He he rejected him. So God sends his prophet to a Gentile woman to to share the message, which we'll see as we go along. He sends him, him to a Gentile woman. And just as Elijah was rejected, who else was rejected? Jesus was too, right? In fact, in Luke 4, 24, it talks about the right, Jesus rejected at Nazareth. And I'll just start with verse 24 here. Here, Jesus, as he's being rejected, he says, I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, now listen to how he connects the dots. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Ooh, there's a connection here, isn't there? There's a connection here that just as Elijah was rejected, Jesus was too. And the result is that Elijah was sent to a Gentile woman, which we know as we've been here, it's a shocking thing to go to a Gentile, these repulsive Gentiles, which most of us, 99% of us probably are Gentiles. Uh, But he was sent to this Gentile woman, and that is a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do when he's rejected by the religious leaders. He was sent to the, Jesus took the message to the Gentiles too. In fact, we see that the the very picture of this when Jesus is sent to a a, a Gentile woman in Matthew 15. We see it even fulfilled even further in Matthew 15. And once again, he's going to a Gentile woman, but this is a picture of him being ultimately sent to the message to the Gentiles, the entire world, because that's what the Jews were supposed to do. They were supposed to show the world God, and they weren't doing a very good job of it. And so God says, I'm going to show myself through my son, the, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, all right? If we don't do our job, God's going to find a way to do it, all right? Mission is very, very important. But uh, anyway, back to Jesus fulfilling this. In Matthew 15, verse 12, uh, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know what the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He's preaching, he had offended the Pharisees. Verse 13, he replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. So he's, he's rejecting the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who had turned on God. And then right after this, verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Where have we heard that before? Where have we just heard that? Zarephath and Sidon, right? A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, 
Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Oh, he knew how to pick them, didn't he? <laughs> That's us, isn't it? All right, anyway, disciples. Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. We see that Jesus begins the move to reach the entire world with the gospel. And just as Elijah was sent to the woman, Jesus went to this woman in Sidon. And this is all prophetic fulfillment. This whole story that we're looking at with Elijah is a prophetic picture of what Jesus was going to come to do for us. So, we could spend weeks on that one. But now for life on the edge. Let's get back to life on the edge. And now we come back to 1 Kings 17, verse 10. The rest of the story. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, living on the edge. First we're going to look at Elijah and then the woman because they're both living on the edge and God has a purpose for each of their movement, moving them both to the edge. Elijah is pushed to the edge here. I know what a lot of you are already thinking. Wait a minute. Wasn't he already living on the edge? Hasn't he, isn't he already living on the edge? He had already stuck his neck out confronting King Ahab. Literally stuck his neck out confronting King Ahab. He already went to the, the, the brook at Kareth there and, and was drinking from this drying up brook and, and waiting for fish, uh, waiting, not fish uh, waiting for birds to bring him pieces of meat. I'm sure he was, would have loved to catch a fish or two. Uh, waiting for that. Then his brook dries up. Then God sends him on this burning hot journey to Zarephath in Sidon. And Sidon is the, the center of Baal worship. He sends him to the last place he would want to go. And he says, while you're there, a widow is going to supply your food. Wasn't he already living on the edge? Wouldn't you consider that living on the edge? I mean, really. Wouldn't you consider, wasn't he already living on the edge? Apparently not. Not even close. Because what does he have here? We find that the widow that God has sent him to, to meet his needs, is starving to death. Starving to death. Okay. Talk about living on the edge. This is living on the edge of insanity, isn't it? This is the edge of insanity. But Elijah was crazy enough to obey God no matter how crazy God's word was to him. He had this crazy faith. He was willing to obey God no matter how crazy it seemed to him. And listen, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, it will be by faith. Crazy faith. It will be by faith. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. If you have a, an NASB version of the Bible, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. That same idea, walking, living by faith. And this is obedient faith. Elijah had to obey. Every crazy time God spoke his crazy word to him, he had to obey. This was, this was crazy faith. It was obedient faith. It wasn't based on how I feel, right? <laughs> so many Christians, are, are, their lives are regulated by how they feel. And I'm always like, what does the Bible say? You know, but it's how do I feel? Or, or not how the world tells us to feel. The world tells us how to feel, how to live all the time. You turn on TV or watch a movie and they're constantly preaching a message telling us how to feel. Or you listen to music, you know, and and you, you hear the songs and they have a message. They're trying to tell us how to feel. And usually that way is how to feel is directly opposed to how God's word says we're to live, how we're to walk. And, and it's, it's crazy we let these people do this. These, in the movies, and the music, these celebrities that are trying to tell us how to feel and how we should live, these celebrities are miserable. The headlines constantly tell us how miserable these people are. There's book after book coming out with celebrities that are writing books now from my era, way, way back, right in my era, and they write these stories. And I'm like, I didn't know they were that miserable. They were addicted to this and drinking this and, and you know going through relationship after relationship all kinds of crazy addictions and emptiness and misery and I'm like I didn't even know they felt that way because they on the TV they look good you know they acted good and they made us think that that's how we should be living but they're miserable don't let them tell us how we should feel and how we should live it's got to be God's word we must put our faith in God's word and live by faith no matter how we might feel no matter how we've been conditioned wrongly by the flesh or by sin or by the world. And vital to live by faith in God's word. Elijah walked by faith. And he took a step of faith. And when he took that step of faith, he runs smack dab right into a widow. Right? He gets here to, to Zarephath. He runs into this widow. What a coincidence. He gets to the gate, and there's a coincidence. He runs into the... Uh, it's a coincidence, right? Not. If we are living by faith, there are no coinkadinks. If we're living by faith... Now, if we're not, that's all know that. But if we are living by faith and obeying God's word, there are no coinkadinks. There are, there's no such thing. The, the, remember, we just finished the book of Joshua. Joshua sends the spies into Jericho, and who hides them? Rahab, thank you. Somebody remembers. I was always about a year ago. Anyway, Rahab, right? Uh, Rahab. What, what are the odds this woman was waiting for the one true God to show up, you know, and, and she hides them? There are no coincidences if we are living by faith. I remember, you remember I told the story about, um, about the, the, the inner city mission that, that we had going and, and about the, the one boy, Juan, who brought his friend Rick and they became Christians. They stopped stealing cars. Remember the whole story? Well, about a year later, uh, Juan, he brought another young man to see me. His name was Eric. And he, he brings them and, and uh, this young man wasn't from the inner city. He was actually from a, a local high school, but they were friends. And he said, I want, you to, I want you to tell him about Jesus because I think he wants to become a Christian. 
And, and, I, and I was like, okay, great. And you sit down and I got out my Bible and we, I started going through the gospel and the Bible and, and sharing about Jesus and, and how he died for us and how we can put our faith in him and, and give our life to him. But as I was showing him the, my Bible, uh, as he would read it, he, he, he was struggling because he couldn't understand the version I was using. And, and it wasn't that hard. And this guy was a very intelligent young man, but he just couldn't quite, he's like, this English is just not doing it for me. I just can't get this. And I was like, oh, it's not that hard. But, but he just, I he, he said, I just need something in more modern English, more modern day English. And, and I, I'm like, oh, and I didn't have anything. You know, I, I had a paraphrase, but there were no translations. You know, there's paraphrases, but the translation, whatever, you know, level of English that is, that's the important thing, the translation. And, uh, and so I was like, oh, but so, so then I'm thinking, wait, this guy's a smart guy. He might be just throwing up smoke screens. I couldn't believe he couldn't understand this. Maybe he's really just throwing up. I said, so I, so I tested him. I said, so are you telling me that the only thing keeping you from becoming a Christian is you really just can't understand this translation? And that's, he goes, yeah, that's just it. I really want to be. I just can't. I'm just having trouble with this. But if, if I had a translation that you could understand, you would become a Christian. He goes, oh, yeah, then I would. I would. I just really want to see it in the Bible. I want to read it for myself. I said, oh, he's not throwing up smoke screens. He's, he's really serious about this. I'm like, oh, man. And <clears throat> like, God, what am I going to do? The doorbell rings. I'm like, well, who's that? And I go up to the door, and there's a delivery guy. He's got a box. I'm like, what's this? He goes, I don't know. I'm delivering this. And I go, I didn't order anything. And it was a promo from some ministry. It was a promo. I didn't order it. They just decided to send it to all the churches, a box. And in the box were a couple of Bibles that they were trying to sell. New, brand new Bibles, brand new translation in modern day English. I don't even remember the name of it now, but it was really, really modern at that time. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how long ago. But anyway, <clears throat> so I'm like, I'm like, what are the, you know, what? I open the box. I look at Eric. I look at Juan. We all look at each other like, what? You know? And I said, here, try this one. <laughs> he starts to read the verses that I was giving him. It's like, oh, yeah, I totally understand this. This is great. I said, here, keep it. <laughs> I gave him both the Bible. Like, keep it. And, and about 10 minutes later, he accepted Christ. He totally got it. What are the odds? What are the odds? There are no odds. Except it's 100% when it's with, with God. It's, 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 there are no coincidences when we're living by faith. And Elijah was living by faith and he runs into this, this widow, but Elijah is living on the edge here. He's living on the edge. God is pushing him to the edge. And we see that the woman was also on the edge. He's also on the edge. The woman is also pushed to the edge. Back to the verses again, verse 10. Um, so he went to Zarephath when he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. She called, he called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. Remember that. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take 
home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. The woman is also pushed to the edge. She's, she's down to her last meal. She's down to her last penny, her last breath, her last gasp, literally her last gasp. But God has not pushed her to the edge to teach her how to live by faith like Elijah. She hasn't come to faith yet. He's pushed her to the edge to bring her to faith. He pushed Elijah to the edge to teach him how to live by faith. He's already a believer. But this is a non-believer, someone who hasn't put their faith in God yet. And he pushed her to the edge to bring her to faith. She doesn't know the one true God, Jehovah, yet personally. How do we know that? Verse 12. She says, the Lord, your God. She knew that was Elijah's God. She recognized him as a man of God. She, how We don't know, but somehow she knew but he, she didn't say, my God, the Lord, your God. But I'm going to wreck the surprise. It won't be long before Elijah's God is her God. It won't be long. We're going to see that soon, next few weeks ahead. But first, she must be brought to the end of herself. She is starving physically and spiritually. Every way. She's, star- she's starving spiritually, physically, and spiritually here in Zarephath. And there's going to be even a worse breaking point for her coming ahead. I, wait, read ahead. An even worse breaking point. The ultimate breaking point for her that's going to bring her to the real breaking point of finally putting her trust in, in, in God. God knows what it takes. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet, God knows what it takes in each of our lives to bring us to our knees. He knows exactly what it's going to take. He knows what it's going to take to bring us to our knees. He knows what it's going to take to bring us to the cross, to Jesus Christ, and putting our faith in him, surrendering our life to him, putting our faith in Jesus Christ. He knows what it's going to take. And it's usually not what we like. But he knows. He's the master surgeon. He knows what it, exactly what it will take. And so often we want God to bring someone to Christ, but we don't like the way that he does it. Or we want, we want to, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Or we want to, you know, we want to come to God, but we don't like the way he brought us there. But it's amazing. I just have seen so, I mean, think about our own lives. Think about the stories in our church. Think about so many, over the years, the, the some of the hardest things, I, I had a good, I had a friend who told me how he became a Christian. His wife, they just got married, and she came down with this terrible disease right away. Boom, it was horrible. And he says, but it's better, and she ended up dying of it. But he goes, you know what, because of that disease, she became a Christian, and then I became a Christian. And we wouldn't have done it without this disease. How has God brought you to the edge? To find real life. To find real life. Maybe here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening to this in your car or something. We got this on the podcast and everything. And you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. But God has brought you to the edge. To the end of self. Because he wants to give. Why does he do this? 
Not to inflict pain. He does it because he wants to give us real life. Because he wants us to find our ultimate purpose. He doesn't want us to go through 70 or 80 years of meaningless life here and then spend eternity in hell. He doesn't want that. So he, he, he sends us, he brings us to the edge so that we will find our ultimate purpose. So that we'll spend eternity with him and his son Jesus Christ. And you might be right on the edge right now, but you're afraid to, to let go. You're afraid to let go. You're afraid to really trust God with your life. I've told this story many times of, of eagles and, and how they teach their babies how to fly. And I'm going to connect some dots as we go through with this here. But you, when, when a, a mother eagle wants to teach its baby how to fly, and it's actually in the Bible where you see, I will carry, where God says, I will carry you on my back like a mother eagle on her wings. That's all a picture of how a mother eagle teaches its baby how to fly. It takes it, when it thinks the baby eagle is ready, it takes them to the edge of the nest, and the eagle does not want to jump out. But it actually pushes the baby eagle out it goes fluttering down and the mother eagle swoops down and catches it on its back save it and they they, they've studied this for a long time and they've never seen a mother eagle miss the eagle never misses never misses and that is really a picture it's a really a picture spiritually because god never misses either if we put our faith, if we take that step of faith, if we take that leap of faith, God never misses. He saves us. He never misses. He will catch us and carry us. We can trust him. We are saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by God's grace by putting our faith in God's grace. By believing that Jesus died on the cross. He came, he was born at Christmas, with awesome Christmas time. He was born at Christmas so that he could die. Die on a cross. The perfect son of God. The miracle worker son of God. The prophecy fulfilling son of God. Then died on that cross in our place saying, I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to come back from the dead to prove I, was the son of, I am the Son of God. And if you will put your faith in me, if you will give your life to me, you will be forgiven and have a brand new life. We are saved by faith. Have you ever, have you, are you ready to step off that edge and take that leap of faith and put your faith in Jesus Christ? And once we take that step of faith, once we take it, once we give our life to Jesus Christ, he will do something even more amazing. God will teach us to live by faith. It's one thing we're saved by faith. That's the first step. But then he spends the rest of our life teaching us how to live by that faith. It's no longer saving faith. It's sanctifying faith. But it's faith, living by de total dependence. Galatians 2.20. Great one to memorize if you don't have that one either. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. We are saved by faith, and then we live by faith. We don't just say by faith, and now, okay, we just go on doing it ourselves. No, once we're saved, we, we live by faith. We continually depend on God. We're, we live by faith, and, but we forget that, don't we? So God continually brings us back to the edge, back to the edge, back to life on the edge, over and over again to remind us and to teach us how to live by faith. It's a lifelong process. But he constantly, God is constantly, just like Elijah, pushed to the edge, he 
bringing us to the edge continually in some way in order to, to teach us how to live by faith. You see, we're saved. We're saved. We take that step of faith. God catches us like the eagle. We're saved. We're, we're saved. But that's just the starting point, just like that mother eagle. You know what that mother eagle does after it catches that baby, saves it, takes it back up to the nest, pushes it out again, takes it up again, pushes it out again. And they keep on doing it until the little eagle finally says, I'm getting tired of this. I better use these things. And starts to use the wings. That's what happens. That's how they learn to use the wings. But this is important. To Eagles don't fly by flapping their wings. That's not how an eagle flies. You know how they fly? I think some of you already know this. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Verse 30 says this. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. They will soar on wings like eagles. Eagles soar. Soar. They don't flap their wings. They find the wind current and it carries them. They soar. They, there's these wind currents. The eagles are up on their cliffs and there's these thermals, these wind currents, and they learn to find those thermals. They find the wind current and all they do is they hold the wings out. The wind carries them. Just like the Holy Spirit's wind carries us. We learn, to, we, we, we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit and look to see where the Spirit is moving. And we soar. We don't be in the flesh doing this. We are soaring. That's, that's, what, that's what we do. We still have plenty of struggles, don't we? Lots of struggles, but we learn to soar above them spiritually. We learn to find where the Spirit is leading each day. And we, we follow His leading. We learn to live in the Spirit and be, to be filled with the Spirit. That's why God brings us to the edge. To teach us to soar. To soar, to depend on the Spirit. And the same thing goes for a church. We as a church, we need to, we, He wants us to live on the edge. Live by faith and live on the edge as a church. We need to follow His leading as a church. To see what God wants to do in and through our church here. Right now we're about 20000 behind on budget. You know I never talk about money. But we're about $20,000 behind on budget. So what have we decided to do? Our leadership team recently met prayerfully and decided to send the Philippines ministry $35,000 from our building fund. Now, we've already sent them 50000 to help them get into their building. But we, now we, we have been praying and, real, and realize that God has given them a huge open door in the Philippines. If you weren't here, you, you, well, you missed it. Get the CD. It was wild what God is doing. A huge open door. And, and we really feel like, as a, as a leadership, that we're supposed to send them $35,000 from our building fund. Uh, that's because we're living on the edge. We're trusting God to meet our needs as a church. And we're trusting God to give us a place to worship, which he's given us. Who would have thought, you know, 18 years ago we'd still be here at the school. This school's been great to us. The staff has been great. The, the, the custodians, the, everybody's been super at this, this, at this school. But we're trusting God to provide a place for us to worship. 
Not our own building, because we're building a building in the Philippines. <laughs> That's where our church is. <laughs> and I'm really proud of our leadership team for taking that courageous stance. I'm proud of this church for giving sacrificially to that building fund. And, and everybody's excited about this, that I've talked to is excited about this. That, that, that's what we're doing. We're, we're, that's called living on the edge spiritually. How is God calling us this morning to live on the edge? Whether it's to bring us to faith or to teach us to learn to live by faith. How is God working in our life? Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, we always have a prayer team up front. They'll pray with you during the prayer. They'll pray with you during the worship ending. They'll pray with you afterward. They'll miss their lunch, whatever it takes. They'll, they'll pray with you till what, as long as you need to pray. But as we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? I'm thankful for the way that he has spoken to our church to be sacrificial and to trust God for where we're going to worship, wherever that is. Maybe here today and you're a Christian, but God has brought you back to the edge again. And he's trying to push you over that edge, but you're hanging on, we're hanging on, I want to be comfortable. I want to stay in this nest, and God is saying, I want, to, I want you to soar. I want you to soar above the trials. I want you to learn how to do that. I want you to soar in your life, living by faith, fulfilling my, God's purpose for our lives. Maybe you're here today and you've been clinging to the nest or trying to flap your wings. We do that all the time, but God is saying, live by faith. Live by faith. Live on the edge. Maybe you're today, and while we're praying about that, maybe you're saying you're not a Christian yet. You've been hanging on, fighting God. But he's calling you to take that step of faith, that leap of faith. He's brought you to the edge because he's calling you to live a real life in Jesus Christ. To find life that begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus and goes for all of eternity with him. You can take that leap of faith right now. It's a prayer of faith. God, please forgive my sin. Take my shame. Take the garbage. Take this old life away. I don't want it anymore. I repent of it. I walk away from it. I put my faith 
in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me and I know he lives for me now. I give my life to him. If you've prayed that prayer of faith and the Bible says that you've been saved, God has just caught you and you're going to be on a ride. You're on the back of the eagle and you're going to be on the ride, in for the ride of your life. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Let somebody know. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card on the bulletin. Send me a text, email. Let somebody know. So that we can encourage you and, and, and we'll be excited for you. Father, I pray for the rest of us here. Lord, that we would not fear the edge that you're calling us to live on, but we would see it as a chance to live by faith and to soar. I pray that you would use each struggle and trial to remind us to completely depend on you and to live by that faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.